0: Um, so Thomas, uh, he asked me to talk about doubt tonight. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. And I, I just thought that this was like a great text to, to, to focus on. Um, yeah, if I were, if I were to let you guys borrow like my personal journal, which would be kind of a weird thing to do. Um, and, and you were to flip through the pages. Um, you'd see just, I think you'd be surprised. You'd come away from that that experience kind of shocked. Um, Cause I think you would see that most of my entries in there are, are characterized by a, a pretty deep wrestling that goes on in my own soul um, and almost on a daily basis. It's this wrestling between kind of this haunting of doubt, but also this like feisty Longing to know God and to be known by him. And I'm just wondering if any of you guys can relate to that, that tension that I just mentioned. Um, because I think we live in an age where if we're honest with ourselves, our belief or our unbelief, because I don't want to take for granted that some of you might be here and, and not be followers of Jesus, but our belief and our unbelief can both feel fragile. It can feel contestable. Um, as followers of Jesus, we're haunted by doubt. We um, we feel pressured in our faith, um, probably more so even at the university level, um, because there are just so many options, so many other options out there. How can Christianity be like the only right one? Um, but as I think, as non-believers, you probably feel haunted too by by transcendence transcendence this internal longing for something beyond our material existence. Um, and I think that the stories that our secular world tells of like modernity, that um, science kind of is, is, is the big story to organize our lives around or postmodernity, this like you do you take on the world. I think that those stories have just failed to replace religion. Uh, they've been around for a long time, and they've failed to, to replace belief. Um, and so I think that both of us, believer and unbeliever alike, that we're going to find a friend in Thomas, um, this Thomas, um, and Thomas Kuhn. Um, I think he thought it was funny that I was talking about Thomas in his absence. Um, but I think we'll find a friend here in Thomas, because um, as, as a philosopher Jamie Smith He's coined this phrase, we're all Thomas now. We're all Thomas. Because like him, we live in this disorienting limbo between belief and unbelief. It's disorienting because our struggle to believe, it's not only like in our head, it's not only intellectual questions, but it's also deeply emotional too. We struggle to believe in God because of heartbreak that we've experienced. Because of how broken our families of origin are. We struggle to believe because of dashed dreams or unrelenting addictions. If if I'm honest, it's not questions about the like exclusivity of Christianity or the existence of hell or inconsistencies in the transmission of the new Testament that make me question the goodness of God. It's, it's the fact that I, I just can't stop yelling at my kids. It's the fact that my friends' marriages are falling apart. It's, The fact that mental illness plagues my family of origin. It's just these deep emotional questions. Do you guys have questions like that? Questions that that just grind away at your soul every day. Well, Thomas's doubts were like that. Um, Can we consider his story just real quick? Jesus, your best friend, someone that you would die for, Um, We we read about that in John chapter 11. The one that you thought would redeem Israel, he's just been killed and buried. Um, He's been killed and buried. And not only that, your other friends, the people that you've spent the past two to three years with on the road are now scattered in fear. And Peter has denied Jesus. Judas has betrayed Jesus. And your world is just turned upside down. And you keep talking about the marks of the nails. In verse 25, marks of the nails, marks of the nails. Why does he keep talking about the marks of the nails? It's like that picture of Jesus being crucified is emblazoned in Thomas's mind. It's like he's almost still back there, stuck in that moment. It's because he saw his friend killed. Like Thomas saw Jesus Die Before his very eyes, he saw the nails go into his hands and his feet. He saw a Roman soldier thrust a spear through his side. You you saw his body go into the tomb. And now your friends are saying, I've seen the Lord. And that seems offensive to you because you know that there's no way that someone can come back from the dead. Jesus is dead. End of story. These are emotional doubts. These are emotional questions um, that derive from the heart wrenching pain of like trauma and loss. The out of body panic that, that comes when everything you thought you knew to be true is now a question mark. Have you guys been in a place like that? Just where everything you thought, just like life, the, the rug has just been like torn out from underneath your feet and you, you just don't know which. End is up, and and we don't know what to do with our belief in the midst of that. In the midst of those emotional questions, and, and that's our problem. We don't know what to do with our unbelief, believer or believer, or our unbeliever. Like, is there a way forward when we experience doubt? And so that's the question we're going to ask together: is what do we do with our unbelief? I'm going to just say a short prayer. Father, we believe, uh, at least some of us here do, Um, and we just ask that you would help us with our unbelief. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the question tonight, what do we do with our unbelief? Well, first we, we say it out loud, and then we wait. We say it out loud, and then wait. So look at verses 24 through 25. Uh, When Jesus appears to the ten disciples, Thomas is gone. He's absent for some reason. And whenever he shows up later on Easter Sunday, the disciples share the good news. They say, we have seen the Lord, but it's not received as good news by Thomas. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And at this point, some of us, we just want to like curb Thomas's cynicism. Like, Thomas, just shh, shh, you're making us look really bad right now. (laughs) Like, but I think, are we supposed to shake our head at Thomas or follow in his lead? Because, sure, his unbelief is super messy, he's not listening to his friends. The combined testimony of his friends. He's making demands of God. He's saying, Unless this happens and this happens, I will never believe. But I think at least he's talking about it. Like, at least he's saying the scary thing out loud, right? And I, I imagine, like, you want RUF and the church that you go to, you want it to be a place where that happens where you can bring the mess of what's going on inside of you and, and be received with, hey, tell me more or like, you too, instead of, hey, figure out your stuff and then you can come back. Um I know that this first step feels risky though, because some of us have just gathered by observation that to have doubts is is dangerous. You know, we, we've, we've done the scary thing of bringing our questions to people and we've been met with trite answers, right? Or, or just like, don't, don't ask the questions. Um, and we've, we've, we've been viewed as lesser than or like our faith is, is small. How will people respond? That's the question. But I think it is a necessary step to say it out loud. And so we take the faith that we have, even if it's, it's tiny, like the size of a little chia seed kind of faith. We take our um, faith with all of the unbelief mixed in and we say it out loud to each other. Do you have a a trusted friend here or maybe at the church that you go to that, that you feel like you can say those things to? I hope you do. So we say it out loud to our friends and we say it out loud to God just in the form of prayer. And then we wait. That's the second part. We wait So Thomas voices his doubt, and then what happens? Look at verse 26 with me. Um, Eight days later, where you and I might be tempted to, to move in quickly and to soothe Thomas's pain. Jesus waits. Jesus waits. I just wonder like, what do you think those days felt like to Thomas? Day one. The disciples are like, we've seen the Lord, Thomas. Day two, we've seen him. I, I, I promise. Day three, I'm pretty sure that we saw the Lord. Day four, I th- we saw him, right? <laughs> Day five, man, Thomas, I don't know. Maybe you're right. And six, and seven, um, Those days would have been so hard. <laughs> but, but for some reason, Jesus felt like it was okay to make him wait for Thomas to wrestle with the strange testimony of his friends. Jesus is okay with live, letting us live in between belief and unbelief for a time. Are you okay with that? Are, are we okay with that? I think so often we're, we're afraid of what others' doubts will do to us that we can so quickly just throw a Tim Keller book at them or like a 15-minute podcast and call it good. And, and those are good resources, but I think we do it to like get our heart rate lower, right? to soothe our own anxiety. But what does Jesus do? He waits for an entire week. Does that mean that he doesn't love Thomas? No, he, he died for Thomas. Jesus is showing Thomas and us, I think, that part of following him is believing in him, even when we don't see him or feel him. And so we voice our doubts and wait. Uh, this movement here, it reminds me of the lyrics of this, this, this modern psalm. Um, do you guys know Mumford and Sons? Am I dating myself? Okay, good. good, Okay. So just listen to these words. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's called Believe. I had the strangest feeling your world's not all it seems so tired of misconceiving what else this could have been. I don't even know if I believe, I don't even know if I believe, I don't even know if I believe everything you're trying to say to me. So say something, say something, something like you love me unless you want to move away from the noise of this place. So open up my eyes. Tell me I'm alive. This is never gonna go our way if I'm gonna have to guess what's on your mind, man. Those are honest words, and I just wonder, like, in y'all's emotional doubts, um, those heart wrenching moments, what would it look like for you to write a song to God, Um, like your own psalm, your own psalm of lament, just being honest with Him. I mean, some of the psalms, I don't know about you guys, but like, they make me uncomfortable, like. There's anger in there. There's, there's ex- extreme doubt and fear right in there. And, and some psalms go unanswered, right? And so I just wonder, what would it look like for you to write a song, to to, to journal an honest prayer uh, to God about your doubt? So this movement of voicing our unbelief and waiting, it happens in the midst of our, our week. And at the Eventually, the week comes to an end, you know, We and it's time to gather again on Sunday. And that's what we see happening. Um, and so the second point, we gather and see. What do we do with our unbelief? We gather and see. So look at verse 26. It says eight days later, and, and some of your Bibles might say a week later. Um, and that's because the Jewish reckoning of time, it counted the first and last days of the period described, which means that. This is the Sunday after Easter. It's the Sunday after Easter. It's not Monday, eight days later, in our kind of reckoning of time. It's, it's Sunday. And so we see that this fearful band of Jesus followers gathered again for worship. And this time, Thomas is there. He's there with them. And John, the gospel writer, he doesn't record how the other disciples responded to Thomas's unbelief. But however they did... It must have been in such a way that Thomas, he felt welcomed and safe to to stick around and show up the next week. And so we need to gather with the church, especially in the midst of our doubts. Um, While our doubts are very personal to us because they're often connected to the emotional pains of our story, we're never supposed to deal with our doubts in isolation. a few years ago, I remember feeling so blindsided when I heard that Michael Gunger. have you guys heard of, okay, good. I mean, I'm so, I'm not that old. Yes. Um, but Michael Gungor, he's one, he was one of my favorite Christian artists and he had come out with the news that he was no longer a Christian and it was heart wrenching to me. And since then I've heard so many faith deconstruction stories, both from close friends, guys who were in my wedding um, and people that I, that I don't know. Um, these used-to-be Christians who tell stories of powerful life-transforming transform- encounters with Jesus, who, who didn't know a day without knowing Jesus, who then started having doubts and didn't feel safe to bring them up with a pastor or, or with a friend. Um, and so they, they struggle with those outside of their church community in isolation. And I just want to say, like, before we move on, if, if you are like in a place like that, kind of struggling with doubt, I just would say, hey, don't go anywhere. Like, keep coming. Come to RUF. Like, come to, to church every Sunday. Get into a small group. Like, we're not meant to do life at all alone, but especially in the midst of doubt, we're not supposed to do, um, do that alone. And so the second part, we, we gather, but we gather in order to see. So look at verse 26 again. It says although the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them you know we gather on the Lord's day not only to see one another but to see Jesus himself and you might me you might be wondering like what do you mean how do we how do we see Jesus and maybe you're thinking like man Thomas and the disciples had it made you know Jesus was there in the flesh they actually saw him touched him ate with him heard him speak man if only i could see him then my doubts would just would just disappear well let me remind you that like at the end of Matthew that you know they're worshiping Jesus on the mountain before he he ascends into heaven and it says this this is crazy to me now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him they worshiped him, but some doubted have you guys ever caught that part it's just before the great Commission and we read that the disciples who see Jesus in all of his uh, resurrection life, like doubted him still. Second, um, I just, I don't think Jesus left us with scraps. You know, we gather on the Lord's day. We see Jesus in the preached word and sacrament. So look at verses 30 through 31. Uh, John, the the author of this gospel, he sums up the book when he writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So who's he talking to here? It's the recipients of this gospel. He's talking to you and to me and to you. Um, He's talking to both those at the end of the first century and us it's, us, it's Christians who have never seen Jesus in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus in the flesh. But those of us who have believed in, in the testimony of the apostles about the risen Jesus. He's telling, John is telling them that this book, this eyewitness account of Jesus, um, is enough for us to see him clearly and believe so just as Jesus comes to this fearful band of disciples on the Sunday after Easter and says, "Peace be with you," uh, we gather under God's word. We gather and, and receive the sacrament, um, the Lord's table, and we we hear Him say, "Peace." Will peace, Clay? Peace, Hannah? Peace? Like we, Victor? Peace? Like, um, and and that would be enough. But Jesus gives more. He shows Thomas the marks of the nails and the wound in his side. Man, what an intimate scene. What an intimate scene. And and we see Jesus's scars too in in the broken body of Jesus, in the, the, the sacrament of the Lord's supper where bread and wine signify and seal Jesus's sacrifice for us on the cross. And so what do we do with our unbelief? We voice it and wait. Then we gather together and see the risen Lord. And then what? Well, it, there comes a time to make a decision. We either believe or we don't. So look at the end of verse 27. Jesus says to Thomas, don't, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Jesus calls Thomas out of his unbelief and into, into belief. And something I I find interesting here is that we can't be certain. I don't think that Thomas, you know, actually got out his like magnifying glass and started investigating the marks of the nails. The passage, it speeds up here. Jesus commands Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. And, you know, instead of putting on his like rubber gloves and performing an autopsy, like it it just moves so quickly until Thomas is proclaiming like my Lord and my God. He believes. And notice this, that Thomas believes not because his demands had been met. He believes because, as one commentator puts it, um, Christ's personal self-disclosure overwhelmed his unbelief and drew Thomas to Christ. We can have the most refined arguments that, you know, shore up our intellectual doubts um, we can have prerequisites to faith. God, if you, if you do this and this, then I will believe. Um, we can shut the door uh, to Jesus as hard as we can, but then a personal encounter with him, with the risen Lord, can just overwhelm our unbelief like it's a sandcastle and, and the tide is just coming in. The force of the rising tide comes in and just takes it away. We, like Thomas, we can unexpectedly become believers. I, I wanna hear some of your stories, um, if that's if that's where you're at, if that's what happened to you. And Thomas's confession, it's worth noting here, he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. It's the most beautiful and liberating confession to those who've encountered the risen Jesus, who pursues them, even through the messiness of their doubt. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I think if this is a rebuke, it's it's definitely a gentle one to Thomas. Jesus, he now moves his attention from Thomas to those who will never see him physically, um, but will still believe. He speaks this benediction over you that you who haven't seen me are blessed you who have still believed though you haven't seen me are blessed this is how jesus uh following jesus will work after he ascends to the fa- father believing will require feisty faith um and th- this faith that the new testament speaks of it's not void of doubt or disbelief um, it, but, but it knows what to do when questions come up in, in our hearts. Uh, we voice it and wait. We gather and we see, and then we believe or we don't. And I'm just wondering, what step do you guys feel like you need to take next? What is like a small, um, courageous step for you look like in this place? As we see in this passage that both locked doors and the most adamant unbelief can't keep Jesus from turning someone into a believer. So be careful. You may find yourself like Thomas beyond all intellectual reasoning at a church gathering or an RUF meeting and um, unexpectedly encountering the risen Lord. And doing something that you never thought you would do. Saying words that you never ever thought that you would say. My Lord and my God. Let me pray. Father, I'm just so grateful um, for these these guys. I'm so grateful uh, that there is a place at UNL's uh, campus where um, these folks are gathering together and, and saying a call to worship and singing songs to you and um, and loving each other as brothers and sisters and holding on uh, to their hope in you even though they have homework that they got to get done uh, even though uh, yeah they um, they only get four or five years here um, they're investing their lives and it's such an encouragement to my faith. Um But I also know like, man, college is such an interesting time of development, of figuring out who we are, of figuring out what the world is about, and and questions come up And, um, and so I just pray for them. Um, I pray that they would feel safe uh, to to give voice to those things uh, here at RUF, or a Grace Chapel, or Redeemer, or Zion, or wherever they're going to church, um, and that you would just meet them, Lord, not give them trite answers, um, but give them yourself. Uh, Give them, uh, yeah, just that you would pursue their hearts and win them over again and again. I pray that for myself, too. Um, Lift all these things up to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, worship him, all right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow.